this really is the most sustainable form of building there is because you're digging it in your garden. You literally just dig it out of the ground and use it. So you haven't transported it, you haven't manufactured it. And the best thing about it is the materials are millions of years old. Those particles of clay and sand can ultimately and infinitely be recycled. Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. Summer is finally here and hopefully for many of us it will give us the chance to get outside, reconvene with nature and spend some time on projects that fulfil us. In this month's episode of the Restart Project podcast, we talk to Kay Edwards about a craft that she finds does just that. Cob building. Kay runs Edwards Cob Building, an organisation that offers cob building courses and workshops. And she also works on numerous cob commissions on everything from original houses to historic restoration to art pieces. In today's episode, I talk to her about the resurgence of this building medium, why it's so sustainable, and how anyone can build their own cob house. Before we get into the episode though, we've just released a survey where you can share your thoughts about the podcast. What are we doing well and what can we do better? We really appreciated your feedback the last time that we did one of these surveys and we took a lot of your thoughts on board in how we make the show. If you would like to help us to improve the show even more, go to the restartproject.org forward slash radio survey and tell us what you think. My name's Kate Edwards and I run a company called Edwards Cobb Building. I basically teach other people to build their own house from mud, from the beautiful clay, sand and straw that you dig up from the ground around you. The thing I'm passionate about is the fact that it's very, very easy. So anyone can do it. You can literally teach someone in a different language how to do it. You can show people how to do it and pick up the right clay and the right sand and the right gravel and a bit of straw and water and mix it up and build yourself, sculpt yourself a house. So I teach people all over the world to do this. I do projects all over the world and I teach here in Dorset how to build a house from literally, well, I built a big extension on a, on a little house for £10,000. Actually, I could have done it cheaper than that. I could have done it probably for six now. So it's incredibly cheap. But the thing I'm passionate about is it's incredibly environmentally friendly. You literally dig it up in your garden. You get the right mix and you haven't transported any materials. You haven't manufactured any materials. You've just used your sweat to build it. The tools are very, very low tech. You don't need to be good at using tools. You just use your hands, use your bare hands to sculpt a house. And the houses that I build are just beautiful and sculptural. I say it myself. It's very easy to make it look absolutely stunning with mud. So I mainly do that. I build things for the people and I do renovations on old houses. But my main thing is teaching. I run these courses teaching people to do it, which is just a joy. I've been 10 people today from all different walks of life. You know, there was one architect, a teacher, garden designers, people into IT, you know, lots of people. And they're all sort of starting to think, hang on a minute, do I want to spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds on a house? Or can I do it cheaper? Can I do it more environmentally friendly? Can I do it in a way that does not harm the planet, but actually enhances it? So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> 
It's very appropriate that I'm talking to you in your back garden, right? Or you're in the garden, at least, in sunny Dorset. And the birds are singing in the background here and there, which is a very nice atmosphere to be having this conversation in, really the kind of atmosphere, I guess, that you're in when you're building your, your cob buildings. How did you get into cob building in the first place? I am a sculptor originally. I did a sculpture degree originally, and I started doing a bit of interior design, sort of doing up houses. And I got to the point where I thought I could paint that wall white or I could knock it down. I started getting more into building, like let's have a window there rather than paint the wall white, you know, let more light in. And then I thought, well, God, you know, I could really build my own house. Having renovated lots of houses, I thought, what's the next step is to build it myself. Really hated the the materials, the cement, responsible for a huge amount of carbon dioxide emissions. Cement alone is responsible for about 10% of global carbon emissions. And um, building industry itself, the modern building industry, is responsible for 45% of CO2 emissions. So you just feel like, wow, if I could do something more friendly to the planet and, you know, something just incredibly sculptural. So I wanted to sculpt a house rather than build it. And I wanted to do it in a friendly way. So when I found out about Cobb, that was it. The rest of my life sorted. It's a very simple process. There's a lot to learn, a lot you can do wrong. Although it's quite simple once you've got the mix right. It's something that you can make a few mistakes and learn from them very easily. So I've made every mistake at least twice. And I now know how to tell other people not to do those things. It's really interesting that you kind of came into this through sculpture. I feel like it's a very physical thing, this cob building. I was watching a video in preparation for this conversation and and you and, and your partner were dancing while making the cob. And it's so sort of physical. Like so much of our lives these days is are very removed from physical, like getting dirty in the soil and all of those things quite often for many people. And it's kind of nice to see that literal connection with the earth that you're standing on in order to make housing. I mean, I know that in a lot of the world, people do make their own houses or, or houses are built from the earth. But what is the history of, of cob building? It's interesting because it's had a resurgence in the last years, but the oldest cob house in existence is actually 10,000 years old. So at the very beginning, way before the pyramids, when people were starting to go, oh, let's make a house, what did they do? They built a cob house. They didn't get stone. They got mud and they formed it into a house. And that house is still standing. There was a village in Jericho that's still standing. And it's just unbelievable, really, when you think about it. <laughs> a lot of people say, oh, mud is going to wash away in the rain. Well, no, as long as you maintain the roof, you have a slightly overhanging roof to keep the water away from the walls. And you have a little stem wall at the bottom to keep water away, to keep splashing off the walls. But essentially, if you maintain it properly, then you've got a house that can last thousands of years. I mean, peasants, you know, not being offensive, but... People with very low skill have been doing this stuff for 10,000 years. And like you say, we've become divorced from the earth so much. A lot of us have doing these kind of IT jobs and living in tower blocks and things. And you just you just forget that actually we've all got the skills within us to build our own house. And it's just something so natural and so absolutely innate in us to build. You know, and that's what I find so inspiring about the people who come on my courses, because some of them will come along and they'll be all like, a bit nervous and say, oh, I'm not very physical. And well, yeah, it is physical, but it's not hard. So you are tired at the end of the day, but you haven't been stretched in, in your brain capacity. You've learned how to do it and you put it on the wall. And if it goes wrong, you shave it off. So you, you basically slap it down. And then if you haven't got enough on, you use a spirit level to check it's going up straight. If it isn't going up straight, you put a bit more on. So it's literally like building with plasticine almost. You know, it's kind of like like a model, but it's a real house. And then you let it dry in the sun. 
and then it's completely rock hard and you know incredible right and it's not just it's it's not just any old soil and it needs to have like clay and uh straw as part of the mix right so it's about 25 percent clay but the clay you tend to pick out the ground yourself tends to have lots of stones in it so the real clay content is only 15 percent. but the rest of it is a mixture of sand and gravel sharp sand and angular pieces of gravel almost a bit like a concrete mix actually very similar apart from you don't use cement and it dries in the air so it doesn't need to be transported it doesn't need to be manufactured and there's no embodied energy in it at all what's amazing to me is that these materials are millions of years old these particles of sand that are tiny grains of sand that are millions of years old they're bits of rock that have broken down over the years and then it takes millions of years to form clay so these are these are amazing parts of our planet and they're parts of this earth and you're using that it's something very moving about it actually there's something utterly kind of connecting to the planet about building with mud it seems like very almost spiritual like what you'd hope for from kind of reconnecting with the world around us would you call cob a sustainable technology I don't think it could be any more sustainable if it tried, really. All the so-called green buildings really aren't that green. Lots of them have used materials recycled, which is obviously great to recycle, but they they may be manufactured in a big factory in Sweden or something like that, and then they're transported here. So this really is the most sustainable form of building there is because you're digging it in your garden. And 19 times out of 20, you will have the right amount of clay and sand in your garden. So you literally just dig it out of the ground and use it. So you haven't transported it, you haven't manufactured it. And the best thing about it is, as I said, the materials are millions of years old. Those particles of clay and sand can ultimately and infinitely be recycled. So if you decide, you know, in 100 years time, oh, I don't like that compound anymore, you can knock it down and it just goes back to the earth. There's nothing in there that's going to pollute the planet. It's kind of like a kind of house that's compostable. How do the cob buildings, like, how do you need to look after them, especially within the UK, in order to keep them going and keep them sustainable and keep them from getting damaged? There's a couple of tiny little things that you do. So, for example, some people put a drainage pipe in underneath. It's quite helpful if you use a plastic one. I hate plastic, hate using any plastic. But there's one little drainage pipe underneath that's really useful because it's bendy. It doesn't end up in the sea. It stays in the ground. You have to put a little bit of silicon on the window glass to get the windows to stick. But apart from that, everything in your house is breathable and non-toxic. So maintaining it is incredibly easy because you've just got this wall made of mud and you know how to make the mud now. So you you get a handful if a bit chips off, which over time it might do. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily do. It's a bit softer than cement and brick. So if you were swung an axe at it by mistake or something, you might chip a bit off. A child rammed into it with a toy or something. It's so easy to, to maintain it. As long as you maintain your roof, you have a slightly overhanging roof, which basically stops the rain directly hitting the walls. And so you have a lovely lime render on the walls as well. Now, the lime render is not waterproof. It is water resistant. So it keeps the house breathing. So you have a little bit of rain on there and it dries out again. It doesn't mean your house is damp. It just means it's breathable. A lot of modern housing have a lot of problems with damp, mould and condensation because they're trying to hermetically seal them and keep the heat in. But actually it stops it breathing. And then you get these horrible problems, people developing asthma from all these chemicals that are in the wall. So there are no chemicals in cob. There are no chemicals. So it's incredibly easy to maintain. Um, where you have 
lots of chemicals. That's where things go wrong. You know, <laughs> over time, things that have been manufactured start to break down. Like, for an example, UPVC windows. They break down after 60 years. If you use a wooden window and you look after it properly with linseed oil, it will last thousands of years. Working on a house, the oak in there is 500 years old. It's like it's hard as steel because it gets harder and harder as it goes on. So oak actually becomes, as long as you treat it with eco-friendly materials to stop the animals biting it and eating it, you've got something that gets better and better as it gets older. So keeping the roof maintained is a really good one. Making sure the timbers aren't rotting in the roof. Apart from that, it's very, very easy to do. Are there any barriers to repair within your line of work? Like are there things that get in the way of repairing or even making cob buildings? The barriers to it being rolled out across the whole country, everyone doing it, is because I've worked with some big building firms. And the hilarious thing is there's so much about money. I mean, it's so much cheaper to build a cob. It's very short-sighted them. But what they do is they say to me, well, when's it going to be done? you know, when's it going to be finished by? And I said, well, it depends on the humidity and the wind speed. And, you know, it dries by the air. So if it's not hot, it might take a bit longer. And they, they can't cope with that. They say, oh, no, I've got to know exactly how long it's going to take because then I can work out how much it's going to cost. So big building companies don't take it on so much, but they should. But it's very much a self-builder thing at the minute, which is great. But the self-build market has gone from 1% to 10% in 20 years. So it's a big leap. That's really interesting. So the fact that you can't schedule it within the modern capitalist idea of how things happen. Yeah. It's not attractive, even though it would be cheaper. That's really interesting. I mean, I've had many enough with a quantity surveyor who said to me, well, how long is it going to take, Kate? And I've gone, I don't know, a few weeks. What do you mean? You know, they want days. How many days on that job? And then I can work out how much costing it's going to be. And they can't cope if they can't work it out. You know, <laughs> it's like they need to rethink the whole, their whole method of doing everything. Right. It takes as long as it takes, like many things in life. Yeah. But the way the world is organised now makes that a harder, harder thing to have. Can you use cob to do repairs on existing houses that are not made of cob? I know you can build extensions, right? Yeah, you can actually. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. For example, you could use clay plaster. We use clay plaster on the cob walls. You can use clay plaster on brick walls if you want to. Clay and cob absorb toxins in the atmosphere. They also absorb sound. So they're very soundproofing. Obviously, it's much more environmentally friendly to use clay plaster than it is to use gypsum. So people are using clay plasters on their stone walls, for example. We could use lime as well, which is nearly as good. You can build, for example, staircases in your house made of cob. You could build stoves. You could do internal walls. So, yeah, you can mix and match materials, definitely. And it sounds like from what you were saying earlier on that your courses are, are really popular and people are coming from all over the world to learn about how to make cob and you kind of said like when you started out 17 years ago everyone looked at you like you you, you know you were nuts whereas now people have heard of it I mean would you say that cob building is becoming part of the zeitgeist at the moment or like is it the, the new trend the hip new thing it's one of them yeah there definitely are there's some other things out there there's hemp block but definitely people have heard of it now I mean it's been on Grand Designs a few times various other programs they've heard of it now and they're and they're very much clued up so it's definitely getting in the vogue. It's quite exciting. I mean, I'm involved in a project with Plymouth University called Cobbage, which is a collaboration with the French. And they've just won loads of awards. It's a, it's a, a different way of building cobs. So they got some money. They got about four million quid from the EU to basically research into making cob more insulative. What I do, because cob isn't terribly insulative, is I use a combination of cob and straw bale to have the inner wall of cob. So cob's got an incredibly high thermal mass. So if you can angle your light so that it comes in and lands on your wall, you've then got a way of 
creating free energy. So the sun will land on the wall and it will absorb that energy. And then as you shut the windows later on at night, then the energy will be slowly radiating out. So it's like a storage heater effect. So what I do is I put a whole straw bale on the outside. So it's a combination of cobweb and bale. So the bale goes on the outside. And then that lovely heat that you've generated by getting the lovely sunshine into the walls on the floor, it then stays in there because the super insulation on the outside of the straw bale keeps it in there. So the French, they've won all these awards in Europe for brilliant new idea or whatever. And they're using hemp on the outside instead of straw bale. And they're calling it cobarge. And they've actually been assigned or whatever to build 1,500 homes out of this cobage method. So coband and, and hemp together, which I'm going to be involved in, hopefully doing the, some of the training for it. So that's going to be quite a big, this can be quite a big coup. There's been lots of publicity and stuff about that. Um, so I think it's definitely, you know, the pandemic, everyone's gone, oh, I need to rethink everything. You know, let's get back to basic. Let's get back to nature. Let's get back to who we really are and try and think again. So it's definitely at the moment, it's, it's completely mad it's really good to hear that people are sort of like using this time to make futures for themselves because i feel like something that many of us are sort of like struggling with having a a future to look to i mean when you were talking earlier on about damp houses i can't think of a house i've ever lived in that hasn't had damp certainly in my adult life i'm renting i can't really conceive of being able to buy a house whereas with cob you can build your own for much cheaper such a impressive and exciting option building walls and creating structures that's kind of an area that we've been told that we as individuals are incapable of doing just like we're incapable of learning about electricity and fixing our electronics you know like our, our phones are things we can't open up and and tinker around with and our houses aren't things we can build what do you think about that kind of perspective on it yeah totally you're absolutely right and i think it all went wrong with the industrial revolution really i mean everyone used to build their own houses you know back before the turn of the century and then when everyone got all sort of industrialized and we got too big really and everyone started industrializing and say oh yes you know we won't make ourselves a house we'll basically pay someone else to do it and this whole industry evolved buying bricks from the north of england and shipping them down they've never thought of that before then they'd have just built with what was around them but it's been indoctrinated into us that yeah we pay for everything we've become a money culture which it's just quite unhealthy really <laughs> you know and I'm, and I'm trying to get back to the more wholesome way of doing things which is less money and more doing it yourself and thinking creatively there is no problem that you can't solve if you think creatively about it of course you can mend your own laptop if you guys show us how to do it so that's fantastic amazing it's exactly the same you know it's like yes we can get some mud and we can sculpt it and we can make a house and we can work these things out there's nothing actually that hard about any of it it's just that we've been indoctrinated that we have to pay money for things it's really a political thing we should be shrinking the economy not boosting it well, yeah, it's the idea that things exponentially have to grow. Like, so you always have to have growth rather than you can be happy with what you've got. To me, growth is only necessary when it's needed. If you've got beans growing up your wall and they keep growing, then you'll end up getting stringy beans. They won't be tasty.
What happens when people learn that they can build their own houses, when they can get dirty? And what's the process like that you've seen for people, I guess, including yourself, learning how to do this? Like, what does it bring to people? It's absolutely utterly moving to me when somebody sends me a, a picture of the house that they've built themselves. I often come on a four-day course with me. I sort of nearly cry most times. Oh, my God, because it's just so amazing. And you think, wow, they came on a four-day course, and then they've gone and built a house. I've recently had one, a guy from Slovenia, did it in Bob and Timberframe, a couple of women who went out to Kenya and did a beautiful house out there. It's just utterly empowering. I mean, for me, just as a woman being told, you know, you definitely can't build because you're partly because you're a woman and partly because it's too hard, you know, <laughs> and then to be going, oh, you know, I can, and look, I did, and oh, look, it's amazing. Actually, we had to move house from one area to another, and we sold it. So we built this beautiful house, and then we sold it, which I didn't really want to do, but selling it and it being worth something is hugely, just like something I've built is worth money. It's just utterly empowering when we're in the house to touch it and feel it and know that it's there, the smell of it, gorgeous natural smells rather than all the chemicals. But yeah, it does change people's lives. It literally changes people's lives because people have this utter realisation that they can do it and they can create something that's valuable from nothing, from mud. It's, it's utterly transformative. I was quite insecure really before I built my own house. And then now I just feel like, you know, <laughs> relatively powerful in myself. <laughs> relatively powerful is something we should all aspire towards <laughs> feeling. I mean, yeah, I, I can believe that it has that empowering effect. I mean, I've seen that happen to people in fixing events when they've just used a screwdriver and opened something up and they've done something that they never realised was for them. And I guess there's a gendered element to it. Like you were told you weren't supposed to use tools or you weren't supposed to build things. And then having that empowerment and knowing you can do it. But also when you when you were talking about selling the house like I guess with sculpting as well you're sad to give your art away but somebody wanting to pay for that art and buy it is a slightly different thing ironically when we've been talking about the problem with having such a money focused culture there is something powerful about someone being prepared to pay some money for something you've made it was quite funny the guy who um the guy who bought it he was a bit theatrical he said Kate this house has been made with love you know not just i thought we'd be there forever in that house and it was well, it was made with love and it's a very different feel to a house that's been chucked up as quick as they can to get the money to move on to the next house you know it's just a very different feel to have something that's been formed by hand and without getting too hippy dippy about it we do feel the energy of the people who've built it and if it's yourself and your friends who've done it it's just it's an amazing feeling, you know, it's an amazing feeling. I know what you mean by hippy-dippy, but at the same time, you know, one of the things that makes great pieces of art that we see in galleries powerful is that there's the fingerprints in them, that there's the, there's the fact that you can see a human built it. There's something very fundamental about being a human and seeing something made by humans. Yes. Um, when you think about it, a lot of animals build their own houses from, from mud. I mean, the birds will build these incredible structures. And it's as innate in us as it is in them. But we've just become too, on some level, in inverted commas, successful, you know, as a species to do those basic things. And I think we've lost a lot from that. We've lost so much real connection to who we really are. One of the phrases I often say is, what does it open up and what does it close down? And I think with a lot of the technology and advancements of humanity, it's opened up many things, but we haven't often thought about what it's closed down in us or in the world around us. Tell us about some of the exciting recent commissions that you've had, both from the heritage world and from the art world. Okay, so I've got lots of ancient buildings that I'm working on. 
pushing in a bit at the moment to work on the toll puddle martyrs. Remember the toll puddle martyrs from history? They were the first trade union, really, the beginnings of the first trade union. They had a chapel that they met in and it's made of cob. And I'm trying to get the job to renovate and restore that. Something wonderful about the history of that. Every house I work on has got a beautiful history to it. I've been working on some chalk houses recently, pure chalk which is just mind-blowing, really, how it works. I mean, it's just, I mean, they've called me because they don't know who else to call, but they've worked out how to do it. You mush up the chalk and it operates pretty much like clay does, in fact. Anyway, so some fascinating projects out there, some fascinating old buildings out there. In the art world, a couple of really interesting projects. I'm involved with Coventry City for Culture. So next year, it's European City of Culture. They're doing some live link-ups with some Indian artists who have traditionally made clay figurative sculptures. So I'm teaching them how to use cob as a sculptural medium. They're going to be doing some big sculptures in cob in this in Coventry City Centre, which will be time limited. So they will basically slowly degrade over a few months just to show the impermanence of it, really. So we're working on that at the moment. We've got an amazing project in India, actually, which is coming up just in the foothills of the Himalayas. There's a great little NGO out there. It's a lovely woman who wants to train 20,000 people to build in Cobb in India, people who can't afford housing at all, just living in shantytowns. So I'm going out there in April, hopefully when the pandemic has subsided, and I'm going to be training her and her volunteers to building cob and then she's going to then go on and train 20,000 people to, in India to build in cob so that's quite exciting too. I get involved in quite some interesting stuff as well as the kind of fairly standard renovating houses it's yeah it's quite it's quite fun. Yeah I mean it sounds like there's kind of like three strands really you're like building helping build the houses for people now you're going back to the past and doing sort of heritage stuff and then there's the kind of creative side of it of like it becoming an art piece I mean that's really fascinating to me I lived in Coventry for a, for a few years when I was a, a child Coventry itself is a very evocative city because it was so much of it was destroyed so I can imagine that Cobb sculptures gradually degrading would be very powerful in Coventry within its history and its kind of culture yeah that's really interesting stuff I mean it sounds strange to even ask this but what's the future of this ancient form of building what's the future of cob well i feel it's it's never really gone away but it really does feel like it's pushing forward into the new century people are, are looking backwards as a way of looking forwards and i think it's totally up there cob it's totally up there with with all the rest of it and some people are trying to overcomplicate things i heard today someone's making rammed earth is another form of earth building similar to cob but someone's making these rammed earth panels that you can then ship around the country the whole point of it is it's, it's in your garden it's in your land you know you do it yourself you don't make it and charge it around the country but i mean the, the fact that that's happening is showing you that people are interested and they want to buy it and hopefully they'll get over that thing of buying it from somewhere else. The whole point of it is for me, it's local and I do believe that it's definitely on the up and up, especially with the Cobbage project. It's going to get a lot more publicity and people are going to be empowered by it and they're going to be inspired and they're going to say, right, you know, no, I'm not going to spend £200,000 on a really, really rubbish house that's actually going to fall down in 20 years' time because it's built so badly. I'm going to build something myself for £10,000 or £20,000 that he's going to last 10,000 years, you know. So I really believe it's going in a very, very good direction at the moment. It was great to hear that this sustainable and accessible practice is having a resurgence that seems to be gaining more momentum. The empowering aspects of building one's own home that Kate talked about also come with learning many new skills. 
Building with Cobb also offers people a familiarity with the energy and the resources embodied in the building that they live in, which is something that is often ignored. When we are able to repair our houses, it gives us more ownership over our things. Another thing that makes Cobb Building so exciting is that it offers control over how you prolong the life of a home and over where it comes from and how it impacts the earth. There are very few practices like this that genuinely allow us to eventually fully give back what we have taken from the planet without harm and without waste. At the Restart Project, we find that process incredibly inspiring. It's exactly the kind of relationship that we'd like to see happening more often between us and the things that we own. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org, where we've also set up a fundraiser. So if you've enjoyed this episode, do make sure that you donate there to help to fund the future of the podcast. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sounds. And big thanks to Restart's communications assistant, Holly, who did the research and planning for this episode. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.